This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 112 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan and I'm joined today by Brady and David. We're going to discuss a couple of notable news items surrounding the Georgia State football program. And we're also going to preview the men's basketball team's trip to South Alabama for an ESPN2 showdown on Thursday night. But first... Josh Stepp is the new offensive coordinator for Georgia State, with Coach Elliott making an internal move to replace Brad Glenn after his departure for Virginia Tech. The move was first publicly broken by Panthers quarterback Michaeli Colasurdo on Instagram Wednesday morning, and it's been corroborated by Ben Moore of PantherTalk.com and the staff at Football Scoop. Coach Stepp was an original member of Coach Elliott's staff and served initially as the running back and tight end coach in 2017 before solely coaching the tight ends from 2018 on. He also added the title of recruiting coordinator before the 2021 season. Before arriving in Atlanta, he was head coach and athletic director at Lexington High School in South Carolina from 2013 to 2016 after multiple previous stops at high schools in the Palmetto State. After initially attending Furman, Coach Stepp was a standout quarterback at Newberry College, earning All-American honors and setting the Wolves' all-time passing yards, touchdowns, and completions records from 2004 to 2006. The expectation is that Coach Stepp will move over to Coach Georgia State's quarterbacks in addition to his coordinator duties, so an opening remains at tight ends coach, and another member of staff will have to take over the reins as recruiting coordinator. The Panthers also have an opening on staff at safeties coach after Darius Eubanks left to be DB's coach at Liberty. So this isn't technically official yet, but based on what we know, we know. Gentlemen, what do you think? Yeah, so first off, I want to like, McKeely wasn't breaking it. Like, he wasn't doing his best at, like, Panther Insider got the scoop. Like, he put an Instagram post about congratulating Coach Step and moving into his new office, and everyone kind of put two and two together. And, you know, we moved forward from there, and I think we expect the official word from the school pretty soon on this. Uh, but I just, I did think that was, that was great. I mean, accidental, serendipitous little funny thing could only happen in college football, right? No, it's absolutely hilarious. If you look at the post, it looks, you know, so innocuous if you like don't know what you're looking for. And then if you just like, oh, he puts a caption and he says new office. I wonder why, you know, Coach Stuff is getting a new office. And then you're like, oh, okay. I guess this is a thing that's happening. You know, I think, you know, in the Twitter space we did, he was one of the names floated for internal replacement at offensive coordinator. I think. There was always an expectation this could be the move, so I would rate this as not very surprising just because it made a lot of sense and there's some continuity arguments to be made and just kind of keeping the train rolling, the Panther Express rolling. And, you know, the other part of it is just it's an earned promotion. He's come in. The tight ends have been one of the better position groups on the roster. He's one of the better recruiters on the staff, and that's ref- you know, that's reflected in the fact that he was named recruiting coordinator after Coach Collins left that post before this season. And, you know, it's just a situation where guy does the job he's been paid to do. And when there's a better opening on that same staff, the best option was just to give him new responsibilities. And he's obviously been an offensive coach or a head coach and involved in the offense for at high school and now Georgia state ranks for better part of a decade. So, you know, it is a technical there's, I don't want to, 
I don't want to say step up because I, I don't want to make a step pun, but like, like I really am desperately trying to say this without doing that because that, that wasn't the point of going on this tangent, but like it is a new role for him he hasn't had at the college level. He hasn't been play caller, offensive coordinator for an FBS program before. And so, or an FCS program even, you know, it, it could have been Coach Elliott just decided to go get a guy who's done this for five years at a SoCon school and just done it that way, kind of like what he did with Coach Glenn. But I think at the same time, you look at it and just go, it makes sense. He's earned this. And you kind of trust where the offense has been going. Just keep going that way. And that's kind of what this hire will look like to me. I agree with everything you said. And, you know, one thing that I wanted to highlight again was just that kind of the continuity with the, you know, experience with both coordinators, you could say, you know, Step's been here since 2017. And, you know, there's been some turnover specifically in the offensive coordinator ranks at Georgia State. But, you know, Coach Elliott's, you know, we're going on year six and, you know, he's got two guys, you know, Nate Fuque has been the DC since 2017. Uh, You know, that hasn't changed. Um, despite calls for there to be changed. But, you know, I think the last two years, especially he's done a good job and, you know, Josh Stepp is going to be the new offensive coordinator and that level of consistency and, you know, the, the job that has been done here at Georgia state has definitely improved. So it's, it's nice to see that, you know, going on year six with the way that this team has kind of progressed that, you know, guys have been poached. Sure. But there's still some continuity here at Georgia State, and there's still you know guys that were on that initial Coach Elliott staff, and you know that I feel like that's important. That voice and you know that consistency that that matters. I feel like you know some of these young athletes they really take to listening to you know some of those similar voices, and you know not having that wide and crazy amount of turnover. So I hope Coach Sepp can kind of you know enter those big shoes to fill and you know fill them well. Yeah, and I mean, talking about the players, obviously I expect that a guy who's already on the staff getting named to the job will be a popular decision with them, and that's not why you make a coaching move or why you don't make a coaching move, but it's definitely positive through this, is that I'm sure that all the players on the offensive side are happy Coach Step to getting the opportunity that he's going to get, and so now it moves forward. Spring practice is March time, and we'll see kind of what tinker around the edges there is or maybe slightly more wholesale change i guess we don't really know i I would say that i don't expect too much to change i think it's still going to be the offense kind of in the mold that coach elliott has shown that he wants to run here but the passing offense maybe wasn't what you wanted it to be in 2021 and maybe he's got some ideas to freshen it up get some more productivity there and i guess maybe the one worry that you would have had with uh, Coach Glenn leaving, given how much we knew he liked getting the tight ends involved in the passing game. Being a tight ends coach, transitioning from that job, we know that Coach Stepp's going to want to involve those guys just as much as Coach Glenn did. And so if you're worried about that, I feel like there's probably going to be an expectation that those guys are still going to be able to make plays. And you know, if it is an offense that is able to use the tight ends like that and you know, keep the running game going as it has been, that's just a building block for a, a successful offense. And as, as we've seen these last three years under Coach Glenn. And one more football related item of discussion. Wide receiver Sam Pinckney has announced he's transferring to Sunbelt East rival Coastal Carolina. 
He announced the move on a Monday of this week on his social media. The Chanticleers will come to Center Park Stadium in 2022 conference play, so Panthers fans will see number 15 up close and personal at least one more time in his collegiate career. So, gentlemen, thoughts? I don't think we need to necessarily relitigate the the direction and you know how we feel about the the loss per se um you know we've talked about it a couple of times with the you know transferring wide receivers and sam specifically um but i will say that this one kind of stings a little bit just from my point of view in the sense that i think that coastal carolina the way that they have run their offense the last couple of years and kind of just been you know one of the better teams in the Sun Belt, they do they execute a lot of things that Georgia state wants to execute, you know, the way that they use McCall, um, you know, some of the passes that they get him out in space and, you know, the way that he's able to use his legs to extend plays, you know, that's also a team that wants to run, you know, right down your throat, a little bit different running style, but at the end of the day, they're still an incredibly successful running team. Um, I know that I believe likely and highly are headed to the NFL. Um, yeah, they're both that. out of the program um, yeah. moving on. So, so, you know, McCall doesn't have those two top wide receiving options um, and tight end option that he's had the last couple of years. Um, but still Sam kind of going to a team that, does things very similar to Georgia state. I can understand how that would sting. Um, but at the same time, you know, it gives other guys on the Panthers an opportunity to shine and an opportunity to, you know, kind of showcase their talents. And, you know, like we've said, the, the it is possible that the production that Sam could provide can be replicated because Georgia state needs to take a step up in the passing game anyways. Um, so I'm sure it'll stay, you know, it'll be uh, some heartfelt cheers and jeers when Coastal visits Center Park Stadium. And, you know, we wish Sam the best, obviously. Um, but, you know, that was just my thought on it. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you hate to see him go to a team that you're going to line up against and that you're going to be directly competing against to make your first, first Sunbelt championship game. But if you can kind of peel back the layers of it and look at it objectively, it's it's a great move for him. Like. We have seen firsthand, well, it's not last year. I didn't see it when Georgia State and Coastal played this year, but we've seen over the last two years how good of a quarterback Grayson McCall is. We know that those two guys that David mentioned for Coastal are going to be gone, and so there's a lot of production up for grabs in the Coastal receiving core. And we we talked about this when we were talking about Sam's transfer, is that when he's been healthy, he's been productive, productive, big catches downfield. And the only thing that's held him back in his time at Georgia State has been the times where he hasn't been able to be on the field. And so if he's healed up and he hits Conway ready to roll, I mean, I expect that he's going to be one of their better receiving options. And it's going to be a guy that Georgia State, when that game comes around, they'll have gone up against him in practice. So they're going to know how good he is. And it's going to be something to solve. But if you can take that part out of it, it's a good spot for him. He's got one more year to kind of show off for the NFL. And I think we've always believed he was going to be an NFL guy. I think that the bittersweet part is that at this point, unless he pulls some kind of, you know, switcheroo, he's not going to be. And so-and-so drafts wide receiver Sam Pinckney from Georgia State. Like that part isn't going to happen anymore. And it might, if he gets drafted, likely going to be coastal. And so that'll sting just from a point of view of like, you know, Georgia State really developed this guy. Like, this is a Georgia State win. And 
So you're not going to be able to kind of credit claim that directly, even though you can still kind of sit there and be like, look, he was here for three seasons. You can see the guy he came that turned into a Georgia State, but uh, yeah, that's kind of the, the not that important, you know, especially relative to him getting the NFL would be awesome for him. And that's obviously it's stuff for fans and people like us to bicker about with stuff like that with Georgia State and kind of the growth of the program, getting more draft picks. But and I, I will say I, I won't say it was my fault, but I did mention the possibility that he would end up being on the team. Georgia State plays in 2022 because it's the South Carolina connect the South Carolina connection. South Carolina was a team. Maybe they would be interested. Coastal. I was, I was like, if Georgia State can avoid him going to either the Chanticleers, the Gamecocks, it can be a win. And unfortunately, that didn't happen. But at the end of the day, it's a good move for him. Wish him all the best in 11 of the games that he plays next regular season. All right, so let's go ahead and move on to basketball. We've got a couple items to discuss here. Firstly, men's basketball's loss last Thursday to UTA, 70-63. to Panthers got back on the court for the first time since the Georgia Tech loss on December 21st, practicing once as a team before opening Sunbelt play against the 2-0 Mavs. Eliel Seme made his long-awaited return, logging 22 game minutes and marking the occasion with 10 points and 7 rebounds. Georgia State held a 32-31 halftime lead, but went cold shooting the basketball in the second half. A near eight-minute scoreless drought for the Panthers saw UTA turn a slim 46-44 lead into their largest of the night, 59-44, with five minutes and 34 seconds remaining. State had one more run in them, though, and cut the deficit to a single possession, 66-63, on a Justin Roberts three-pointer with 23 seconds left, but the Mavs made their free throws late, and they left the sports arena with a conference road win. Panthers dropped to 6-6 six six overall, 0-1 in Sunbelt play as a result, and didn't play last Saturday after COVID concerns in Texas State's program canceled the team's scheduled matchup. So, gentlemen, thoughts about that matchup with the Mavericks? I guess, in fairness, I will give respect to David with this opening point in that we kind of had different takes on the UTA game last pod. I was kind of like, all right, it's time to get down to business and win games. And David was the one entertaining the possibility that a team that was coming off of a pause might need to just kind of find their feet a little bit. And that's kind of the way the game played out. Uh, the first half, things were basically just back and forth. Um, but after a while, you know, Georgia State only played eight guys. Nelson Phillips didn't play. And you could see UTA was able to start wearing down running a lot of good sets against the defenses Georgia State was running. Georgia State was playing a lot more zone than they usually do because specifically because they were down to two, so many guys they were trying to save legs and they didn't think they could play 40 minutes a man like they usually do and pick up full court pressure like they like to do with the guys they had available. And so I I, I think it, maybe I was going more with the, the heart than the head but the bottom line is it's a loss that is unfortunate and uh, you didn't get a chance to kind of go at it again on Saturday and kind of now that you had got your rhythm back, get a chance to give Texas State a game, see what happens. And so you had to wait seven days and you know, later on, I'll get on to why that's not all bad news, but not a lot you can take away from the game other than just kind of they played again, but it was a loss and the ship still isn't completely righted, even though getting LEO back is a big piece of a puzzle. Thank you for the credit. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, 
I don't know. I think I have like two thoughts about this game. And I feel like as the game kind of went on, I agreed more with your take from the pod last week that this feels like a game that they should be winning. Um, I liked the energy when LEL was in the game. I think he kind of immediately changed how they played defensively. And offensively, I kind of left myself scratching my head a little bit. Not because I think they played terrible. Um, it just looked like a team that had not played basketball or practiced a ton. Um, and I think that's that's kind of where my frustration with the loss kind of comes in. because. It, it it kind of goes to the point that I made in the pod last week. Like you wanted to see a team that just, you know, kind of got their feet underneath them and, you know, was able to run up and down a court for 40 minutes and, you know, be in good condition and good shape. And, you know, not everybody played. I, you know, we kind of talked beforehand that, you know, we, we realized kind of way too late that Nelson wasn't playing or he, you know, wasn't there. Um I think that's a factor. If you're going to ask me if, you know, does the addition of Nelson make this not a seven point deficit in terms of, you know, the personnel, I'd be like, yeah, easily. You know, Nelson has been the best shooter on this team this year when he has played. Um, and that it really sucked to not have Nelson, I will say. Um, while watching the game, I was formulating it. I was considering a take. Um, that I then found out was not necessarily true. Um, but I, I think I, I'll share, you know, kind of the thought process with it here. Um, and that I, I feel like this team has struggled with their two-point shooting. Um, not that they're taking, like, an, an, a, a large amount of two-point shots. Um, it's just that they haven't been good at making them. Um, and I think that has kind of led them to creep more and more on the three point line. Uh, and you know, they're not going to shoot 25% uh, from three every game. I think they got a lot of open looks. They got a lot of good looks and they just didn't fall. Like I said, that's kind of, you know, tired legs, make threes miss and you know, blah, 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 blah. Um, but I was a little discouraged by, you know, like Jalen Thomas, for instance, you know, a lot of those 11 shots that he took were that same, you know, pull up jumper from halfway through the paint that he was, you know, banking last year. And, you know, I don't know if it's just he ha doesn't have the touch right now, but a lot of those shots were open. And, you know, I don't care if you're swishing them. I don't care if you're using the backboard. You know, you, you've got to hit those shots. If, if players are going to give you that space, if you're going to be that wide open, you've got to be making those. You know, I think there were a lot of layups at the rim just you know were not finished well um and you know i don't expect those issues to prevail um i think that this team is talented enough to be finishing at the rim more but just sometimes in the losses it's just one thing that i have noticed anyways is just they have struggled to complement their three-point shooting with a pervasive offense in the paint and i think that is what has killed them a lot of the time, you know, and it's, it, it really goes to show that if they're not, you know, doing the little things, making their free throws, you know, finishing at the rim when they have the opportunities, you know, you're going to be climbing back into games like you ended up being in this one. And, you know, sometimes you'll end up tying the game like the Mercer game, but sometimes you won't. Well, and in neither game did you come back and win. You made it close twice, but I think 
you can argue about whether it was too big a hole, not too big a hole, because they were they had chances in both this game and the Mercer game to actually tie it or win it and just didn't. And I think they I fall on the side of just you can't get down by 15 with five and a half left and expect to win many games like that. And you're playing with fire. And I guess, you know, you look at it and it's the second time they've been in that situation and kind of down the stretch played the basketball they need to to get back in the game and you kind of just want to see that replicated over the other 35 minutes more and so you're not in those situations as much but as as far as how the game played out i mean it was close for the first half like it really was back and forth georgia state had the lead at the half on a cory allen corner three right at the horn and the second half i you know talked about how georgia state was playing more zone and we've known from the years the coach hunter was here and 40 minutes of zone that Part of zones is sometimes you give up rebounds because just the way the ball bounces where you are situationally in your zones. And that's kind of what happened a little bit. Some of it was more just UTA being more physical, being fighting for rebounds more. And, you know, that's something to fight through. Georgia State's kind of got to keep getting to where they're a good rebounding team, especially against other good rebounding teams. And, you know, UTA finished on the night 51-32 is the rebounding margin. Most of that difference, I believe, is 32-16 in favor of UTA in the second half. And they just bared down on defense. They were running good sets against Georgia State's zone defense. And they were getting good looks. They were burning a lot of the clock. And then there were situations where they were getting two, three shots at the basket because they kept getting rebounds after running the clock down on possession. And so there was at least one time that they held for one and a half, two minutes, just because they kept working the clock down, getting a rebound, working the clock back down, getting a rebound and just resetting every time. And it felt like it just kind of took the air out of the ball completely for Georgia state. And non coincidentally, this is during the big near eight minute scoring stretch where scoreless stretch for Georgia state. And you know, I just think that kind of marrying our thoughts together there, having a guy you can just say, all right, win one-on-one here, get to the basket, get a layup. Like Georgia State needed a run breaker type basket. And you kind of need someone to just kind of go ISO and make a play happen in this situation because they're a good three-point shooting team and they're definitely better than what they showed. And that's particularly the case when Nelson Phillips is able to play because he has been their best shooter, but you're not going to shoot your way back into games like that. You kind of need to find someone who's going to start getting baskets for you, maybe getting fouls. And we've seen that in some games for Georgia state this year, but you know, like David said, the shot making at the rim hasn't been up to snuff. And in this game, they weren't drawing fouls on it either. UTA was playing good defense and Georgia State barely went to the line. And all of that kind of consigned to the hole they got themselves in. And yeah, they fought really hard and it's certainly for no lack of effort. But the bottom line is when you get down 15, five and a half left, you're just in a tough spot. And there's you kind of have to play a perfect game by that point. And they played a pretty good five and a half minutes, but it wasn't perfect and it had to be perfect for where they were. You know, it's admirable. Like you said, like it's, it's nice when they're able to claw back at it. You know, it's nice when you can hit that second gear. 
but you got to hit that second gear way sooner. <laughs> you know, you have to be doing the things to where you don't need to be in that second gear. Or if you're down like two or three with a couple of minutes left, hit that second gear and, you know, get a lead and to kind of take off from there. You know, that's what good, great teams do, you know, when push comes to shove down, you know, down there late in the game. And again, it's it, like I said, it's nice that they're able to do something like that. You, you just don't want them to have to. Yeah, it looked like at one point UTA jumped out to a smaller lead. They got out to a seven point lead kind of early on in the second half. It was 46-39. And then Georgia State scored the next five, cut it back to a two point game. And that's where you were like, all right, this game is still for the taking. Really kind of anyone's game. At that point, no one had really had a dominant stretch. And that was the point where UTA scored 13 straight and Georgia State went from 13-03 in the second half all the way until... 519 in the second half without scoring. And that was where it got to. And is that didn't have to happen. It could have kept kind of being the back and forth game it was, or Georgia State could have been the one to kind of take control. It really didn't feel much as Georgia State was having their issues with only having eight guys and not really having practice. It felt like there was that opportunity, but I, I don't think it's completely unrelated. Like I think at the end of the day, you know, you can call it excuses. You can call it reasons. You can, the real life, like the reality of everything, was that they had eight players. They practiced one time before this game. UTA had come off of two wins, and stuff like that matters. Like it would, it is frustrating that Georgia State lost their two games because of those COVID concerns, and you know, the Saturday games keep getting canceled, and uh, that unfortunately is going to keep going on at least one more week, but you kind of have to at least acknowledge the fact that the team who had played and been able to practice finishing out stronger, you know, building that lead makes sense. And that it's kind of something that Georgia state was going to always have to battle. And so in some ways UTA being the better team for much of the second half does make sense. And I don't know that you can really explain explain it away any better than that, even if it is kind of a it feels like something you say when you're trying to make an excuse. And I'm really not trying to just kind of like that's what happened. Like that is where Georgia State was and UTA was going into this game. And you kind of can't ignore it. My only addition is uh, that the NCAA has clearly banned all Saturday basketball games. So that's why Georgia State's never playing another Saturday again. You heard it here first. That would be some scoop. Come on, you know, it's the Thursday night podcast. We're always breaking things, right? All right, so let's go ahead and move on to talk about basketball that will be happening as of recording this podcast episode, at least. Uh, Men's basketball traveling to South Alabama to face the Jaguars 9 p.m. Thursday night on ESPN2. Jaguars are 10-5 and and 0-2 in the Sun Belt in the 2021-22 season so far. They're coached by Richie Riley in his fourth season. He has a 64-44 record in Mobile and 99-72 overall head coaching record, including his previous stop at Nichols. South Alabama come into this one having had to cancel their Saturday game against Coastal Carolina due to COVID issues, and they only had six scholarship players available in their loss last Thursday to Appalachian State. They're cleared for this game, though, but the word from Coach Riley, per recording by Craig Stevenson of AL.com, is that they're still dealing with cases and injuries. He said, the most we've had for practice has been eight. 
By contrast, Georgia State will have had a week of practice at their healthiest and should be closer to full strength after still only having a rotation of eight in last week's loss to UTA. And keeping an unfortunate trend going, Georgia State's scheduled game Saturday at Troy has been canceled due to COVID concerns in the Trojans program and will not be rescheduled. So it'll be just the one game this week for the Panthers as they travel to Mobile. So, gentlemen, thoughts? Yeah, I guess this this is where I want to pick up the point I kind of teased a little earlier in that it is unfortunate to not have the game Saturday against Texas State because you would have wanted to kind of have a response and all that. But talked to Coach Lanier after the game, and he basically was like, we're going to have an opportunity now this weekend, move the schedule around, so we're going to be back in the gym and put more practices together in the game, you know, the stretch where they would have been prepping for Texas State and then doing rest. And so the team that had only had one practice before this past game is going to have had basically a full week of just practice and, you know, the off time that goes with, you know, it, it, they're going to have, this is the only game of their focus. They were, aren't coming off a game on Saturday. And so by contrast, like Jordan spelled out, you, South Alabama's in kind of a weird spot with it. It's, they're cleared to play. Georgia State's traveling to play. Seems by all accounts, the game is going to happen, but, I really don't know how to preview South Alabama for this game because we don't really know who's going to play for them. They've been really hit by injuries even before this COVID pause that they had. They canceled their game against Coastal this past weekend. And so like you, you, you look at it and you don't go like, oh, Georgia State's going to win this game because they're in trouble because you know, Georgia State hasn't put together the type of performance to give you that confidence yet. They're still battling themselves but it does present an opportunity where you look at it and go they have had practice before this game which wasn't the case in a couple of these longer pauses you know they went 16 days between the game at georgia tech and the uta loss and they weren't practicing for the last half of that except for the one time when they got back because they went on a COVID pause they practiced you know the week between the game on the 6th of december against Voorhees and the 14th against Mississippi State, but to kind of a step up in competition, that game didn't go as well as you wanted. But I will say, you know, in the fairness of spelling this out, that they did practice in that eight-game stretch, and that didn't lead to anything better. So, uh, And then they didn't really get to practice with everyone through the seven-day stretch between when they played Rhode Island and when they played at Mercer, November 27th to December 4th. And so... It's kind of different than those other times, with the exception, basically, of the one with the eight days between the 6th and the 12th, uh, the 14th of December. And so, and the other team isn't able to practice, hasn't been able to practice with their full guys. They haven't really been able to do five on five because uh, they've only had the eight guys available. And so, you know, I, I look at it and just, it, it looks like a good opportunity for Georgia State to put forward a better performance than what they did in the last game and what they've really not been able to do to their standard the last little while. Um, and whether that leads to win or loss, kind of up to how the game flows, but at least looking at it, it looks like an opportunity. It certainly does. And it's kind of rough because I feel like we're walking on eggshells a little bit, but you're exactly right. You know, we need to see who actually gets to go out there and, you know, play the basketball for Georgia State before we can sit here definitively and say, OK, you know, this should be a win. I think 
there are reasons to believe and there's reasons to want them to play a little bit better than just a get your legs underneath you type game that we, you know, thought that they should have played last week. Um, but it's just going to be another kind of a similar situation. I think that the just the way that the numbers kind of work out, it works out in Georgia State's favor that they should probably, you know, look better this week, even if they are just kind of getting their feet underneath them because of just the issues that South Alabama has had. Um, I also don't really know what this South Alabama team is. You know, they play some games really close and then they, you know, blow out a really bad team. And then they kind of like they, you know, drop their last couple of games in Sunbelt play to, you know, teams that I would assume are they are better than. Um but, you know, that could be another indication of some injury issues, like you mentioned, you know, some COVID issues, you know, like that are currently happening. Um, so, yeah, it's, you know, it, it makes kind of previewing this matchup a little bit challenging because, you know, we're not talking about the same, you know, two. Uh, you know, I, I would say that South Alabama was one of the teams that could have been sneaky good in the Sun Belt this year coming into the season. You know, if it wouldn't have shocked me if they were one of the teams that, you know, kind of pulled a 2021 App State and, you know, made a run in the Sun Belt tournament. Um, but is that team that Georgia State's going to play tomorrow? I don't know. You know, so it'll be interesting to watch. But, you know, hopefully Georgia State does end up playing better and, you know, is able to find a way to get a win here. And, you know, we didn't talk a ton about LEL. You mentioned the defensive stuff, but I did. I set the bar really low personally just because I didn't know how many minutes he was going to play, whatever. And I think he looked as good as you could have hoped for in his time. And David did talk about the defense and there was an impact immediately. You could feel that he was out there. I don't know if there's a word that is less than immediate, but it was way like before he even was involved. It just seemed like there was a different pep in the step of everybody playing for Georgia State. And you look at a situation where South Alabama had eight guys available in practice this week, only played six when they actually played against App State last week. The energy he brings down low, like it feels like if he's able to continue to ramp up and yeah, maybe he's around the same number of minutes. I know he played more than Coach Linear had said that they wanted to, but also he was out going out there playing well. And you can't really talk yourself into benching a guy when he was doing what he was able to do out there. Uh, but another week on where he's been able to practice, maybe adding a couple minutes to his rotation time. And it feels like it's another, it's an opportunity for him to continue to be that impactful guy that we were able to see him be last year. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think we don't know for sure hundred percent what Nelson's availability is. Obviously he missed this past game. He wasn't in the arena. Uh, and if he's back in any kind of normal capacity, that's another big impact for Georgia state and a guy that they can rely on to make some open shots and provide the energy kind of like what LEL does. Cause we still haven't seen, Either LEL and Nelson or LEL and Colin Moore, who's another energy guy defensively, or all three of them playing together. And so that'll be something that can maybe add to the defense. And you know, I guess it'll be interesting to see if everything is back to normal with playing a lot more man, or if they're going to still stick with the zone that they were running a lot of for the necessity's sake against UTA. I'd imagine they're going to be trying and getting back to as normal of defense as possible and picking up 
after made shots all the way down the court and running their man schemes. And so I guess we'll see how that goes. But like I say, you look at it and I think we've been saying some version of this, maybe just wistfully hoping for it to be so, but it looks like the best case for Georgia state to come into this game, kind of having felt out who they are in practice, getting more shots up in the week and coming to this one, the fresher team and, obviously Georgia Tech had a couple of players out when they played, but I mean, if you go back and look through the games, I don't know, honestly, other than the non D one games, the last game you can look at and argue Georgia state was the fresher, more prepared, so to say team just for the sheer number of games, Georgia state hasn't been able to play and all the time that they had off versus they were going into games where, like Mississippi State played three games before, three days before. All Everyone else, for the most part, was staying on pretty normal schedules. And this is finally the first time in a while Georgia State can really say they're the ones who are coming in on, you know, they're coming in on the same amount of days since they last played, but it's a different situation than what South Alabama has been dealing with. And they're on the other side of things now. And end of the day you're still in the situation where you just need to start stacking wins together and so that has to matter if it's a situation where we're looking at talking about this game next week and it's well south of alabama was the more aggressive team and the team with more energy in the second half like we were talking about uta like there was a reason that happened and we went through that when we just talked about that game that reason is the opposite here and so if that's happening that's start, that's a situation that's you know you're looking at that and going how is the team that didn't practice full five on five, the team that's doing more down the stretch. Like that should be finally where Georgia state has the advantage. So I guess we're just going to have to see how that goes. All right. So that matchup versus the South Alabama Jaguars, of course, 9 PM Eastern time Thursday night on ESPN two. And in other sports news, we have some more Panther athletics getting back into gear as we emerge from the holiday break and get back into the swing of things today. As of the release of this podcast, women's basketball taking on UT Arlington in the sports arena at 6 p.m. on ESPN plus Uh, again, the men's basketball game that we just discussed Uh, Friday, Saturday track and field will be in Birmingham, Alabama at a pair of events hosted by UAB beginning at 10 a.m. both days. And then Saturday, also women's tennis at Florida Gulf Coast, Fort Myers, Florida, 9 a.m. Women's basketball hosting Texas State in the sports arena at 2 p.m. on ESPN+. The men's basketball game at Troy has been canceled, as we previously noted. Women's tennis Sunday and Monday, two matches in Fort Myers, Florida, uh, Sunday versus Florida Atlantic at noon. Monday versus Middle Tennessee at 8 a.m. That's all we got this week. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode. Bye-bye. If you like what we do and want to help out, consider subscribing to us on Patreon. Patreon membership is just $5 a month and gets you access to a variety of exclusive content made just for our subscribers. You can also connect with us on social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as at Thursday Night. And, of course, you can always catch our written material on our website, thursdaynight.com. The Thursday Night Podcast is a production of and copyright 2021 Jordan Crawford Enterprises, LLC. All rights reserved.